friends and fellow Buffy lovers, and welcome to our podcast, where we discuss each episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer in detail, focusing on digging deep into the themes, metaphors, and foreshadowing. I'm Leah. I'm Sarah. I'm Tabby. And this is Becoming Buffy. Welcome back to Becoming Buffy. This is the spoiler section for Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered. Um, just a warning. Um, we wanted to say that we are going to be putting a trigger warning on this episode simply because we're going to be talking a lot about um, sexual assault and anything that pertains to that, especially with the themes and metaphors of season six, which kind of deal heavily with this episode. So just wanted to make you all aware of that. It's something we typically try not to delve too heavily into, but there are some episodes that it just can't be avoided. So, uh, And also, just as a forewarning, this is also the spoiler section. So we will be talking about everything in Buffy and also for the show Angel. So if you do not want to know spoilers, then I suggest coming back to the next episode. But okay, now that we've gone through all of that, let's talk about spoilers. There's actually quite a bit. I did not expect to have so much to talk about this episode. Yeah, I I mean, I didn't have like, you know, um, an immense amount, but I I did notice that there was way more in here than I thought there would be. Um, I specifically noticed a lot of like like lines or, or phrases that people would say that I was like, hmm, that sounds like it could be future foreshadowing. Because I mean, even the the first line of, not the first line, but the first scene um, where Xander and Buffy are in the graveyard, Xander makes a line where he says, oh, well, maybe in a parallel universe, which in my mind automatically went to Doppelgangland, mm-hmm. where in a parallel universe, he's dating mm-hmm. Willow. Yeah, I thought about that too, especially the moment when Willow kind of comes on to Xander and she talks about how like rough is okay and stuff. And I thought mm-hmm. about Vamp yeah. Willow. I was mm-hmm. like, whoa, Willow has like a whole other side to her. <laughs> Personalities yep. are starting to blend together. Yeah. I wanted to talk about how my biggest beef with this episode is the fact that Xander essentially mind assaults every girl in Sunnydale in an attempt to mind assault Cordelia. Mm-hmm. Um, but the biggest beef of all is that he doesn't really get called out for it. And we kind of talked about this in the spoiler-free section. But I want to talk about how there's kind of a contrast to Willow, who does something very similar to Tara in season six, when she completely wipes her memory. Um, mm. And Willow gets major flack for that and has major consequences and ramifications for that. Instead, for Xander, he's told he's a good guy because he didn't act on his attraction for Buffy. But the yeah, and that just that really rubs me the wrong way. The way yeah. that characters, especially the men versus the women, are treated inconsistently in how they are um given I don't want to say punishment, but given consequences for what they do is just it's kind of glaringly obvious. I think the difference that they're that the show is trying to make a difference of is that Willow like physically acted on um the violation. So, like, with Tara, but Xander didn't, like, s- not sexually assault, but he still tried to humiliate Cordelia and put her in a situation that would be totally damaging in the future, um, whereas everyone gets mad and upset with Willow, which is totally deserved, um, because she was in a relationship and Tara willingly put down her guard and, like, you know, was physical with Willow. 
during that time of um kind of controlling her mind into thinking everything was okay. I I agree with Tabby um just kind of how Willow crossed an extra boundary of like physicality. Um and I don't think that people are too hard on Willow when it comes to what she did for Tara. I think that people aren't hard enough on Xander. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's the difference I want to make is that like, oh, you know, Willow shouldn't have gotten the flack for what she did. No, she did a crappy thing and she took away her girlfriend's free will practically. Mm-hmm. Like, that's messed up. However, Xander not only wanted to take away his ex-girlfriend's free will, but he wanted to take it away so that he could humiliate her in front of everyone. Not just so that he could, like, you know, get her back and at least try and have somewhat sort of a almost a pure intention, but, like, wanted to make her look like an idiot in front of everyone and go through just an awful, awful, awful pain. And so it's like, I don't, I can't tell you which one is kind of more jagged up because I don't really know. I think they're both equally just really screwed up, but I hate the fact that like Xander's is treated like oh a slap on the wrist whereas like Willow's is like character shattering she loses her girlfriend people lose like kind of their respect for her for a little while like Willow's world kind of spins out of control after that whereas Xander nothing yeah and I don't want to say one is worse than the other because I think they're all they're both equally really bad I think that and this might be maybe slightly controversial but the common denominator in this is this episode was written by Marty Noxon and Marty Noxon was in charge of season six and actually wrote a few episodes and season seven. And it's kind of hard. She's a great writer, but sometimes it's a little concerning how she uses rape a lot in storylines and has issues with consent. I mean, I can think of three or four storylines in season six that deal directly with consent and with sexual assault. And it's a little concerning. um, And it's hard, too. I mean, I think that – And they don't really give a payout, too. Like, each of the episodes don't really give, like, a good either resolve or mourning behind it. I feel like it's more of just like they kind of go to the idea of it, but they don't really give you a resolution. Well, I think I think it has to be handled delicately, and I yeah. don't think that we should ever use sexual assault for shock value. Mm. I think that it happens in real life, and so it's important for mm. us to – you know, see, sometimes see the ramifications for Mm -hmm. that, but we can't just say, oh, this person was traumatized and, and deal like, this is kind of a theme in the Buffy verse too, is, uh, females being traumatized Mm -hmm. and having their trauma be like character growth. And the thing is, is that you can have character growth without trauma. And we also have to see the other side of that where we need to see healing from that. And a lot of times there isn't a lot of healing or it's like the character is suddenly just fine again. And so I don't know. It's just, it's a little, it's a little bit disturbing. Um, And once again, I talked about Joss with this as well. I don't want to say that a writer can't ever write things because I think that's putting them in a box. And I think that that's not helpful. But every writer is responsible for their characters. And even if their characters do bad things or have bad things happen, they're still responsible for how they grow and how the characters come out of that. Mm. Um, yeah. So, and so I think that it's just, it's hard to watch sometimes. And I, my people might disagree with me with this, but I, whatever. Um, <laughs> it's your podcast. I, I personally 
think that it's okay to put those storylines in there if you know what you're doing. And what I mean by that is when you know how much work and effort you have to put into the character that you're giving the trauma to to work through it and have an actual storyline for it that is going to pay it off. That's what I mean by it. there's no payoff. Like, especially with what happens in season six, we all know what I'm talking about. I really don't have to dig deep into that one. <laughs> um, but it's like when you've been kind of sampling with the whole idea of symbolism um, with, you know, with rape, but then when you dive like into it in a real sense, you have to know what to do to work through that afterwards yeah, to have an idea but like in my personal opinion they didn't the only reason why they put that in there was to show that spike was soulless to show that he and them they weren't going to work together with him like that and i think that that is so frustrating as a viewer who is watching a show that is supposed to be about women liberty and um, feminism and empowerment. And it's like when you give the main heroine a storyline like that and don't give her time to work through it or, or even any airtime to work through the trauma and overcome it, but then just kind of have like maybe a, a cup, like one or two scenes in season seven and then have her end up with the guy. I just feel like they could have done better. Like it just really frustrates me. I mean, my my issue isn't the fact that they have that storyline in season six because I think that it's it's hard it's very sad and stuff, um, but I like that they put something in that in there like that because it reminded you that Spike needed help and that he wasn't just like a gray area he was a black area like he had didn't have a soul like. We needed that reminder, and I think that we had become a little callous to Spike because he was kind of dormant. My issue is more of the fact that they did not do well at healing Buffy after that. Like, it was it was thrown in at the end of season six, and it wasn't given any time in season seven. Like, or it was given, like, a couple scenes, which it wasn't that bad. Like, it was, like, there was stuff that talked about it, but it's, like, that's a really big thing. And it's like, I feel like they should have balanced out having scenes between like Spike and Buffy where they're actually like working through what happened instead of like one, you know, there should have been a little bit more time dedicated to it. It's, it's hard because the show is about Buffy. So if that is going to happen to Buffy, do it to progress her arc. Don't do it to progress Spike's arc. Exactly, and that's the exactly. the problem. Is is it ultimately progresses Spike's arc, and the only I disagree. I think it. I think it does something for both of us. How can you can you elaborate on that? Because honestly, I don't see how there's any growth. Because I there's literally mm -hmm. two instances where Buffy's trauma is addressed, and I won't even say addressed, just mentioned or briefly brought up. There's a quick mm -hmm. flashback when Spike touches her arm in the first episode that he comes back in, um, in Beneath You, and then there's that whole instance in the church but the dialogue in the church is him very much saying like shame on you buffy what was, what me? was me i got this soul and i love that that moment i really do i think it's beautifully written beautifully shot it's a great picture of how far we can fall and it's a whole it's got the whole redemption theme the problem is is that spike is not coming to buffy like i'm sorry it's him saying like 
Of course, I would have gotten a soul because I love you, Buffy. How I not told you that? And so that's the last we kind of even get a slight glimpse at Buffy's trauma. And that's like the third episode, third or fourth episode in season seven. Other than that, Buffy doesn't really, you can tell she's still reeling from it based upon the fl- quick flashback that we get. But other than that, there's no other mention of it. No, all, all I was going to say is that I, I do think that the rape storyline could have done something for Buffy's character. I think that if you look at it from a Buffy had this draw and this pull to Spike without a soul that was dangerous and toxic for her and him. I think the why that scene is mm-hmm. so important is because they both had been locked in this toxic, awful relationship pre-Spike soul. And I think that it needed... There needed to be a scene where it was so obviously wrong, so obviously over the line that both characters were like, what have we been doing? This is terrible and stuff like that. And so I think that it could have been good for Buffy's character. I don't think it was bad for Buffy's character. Like I said, I agree that there needed to be way more in season seven dedicated to her healing and dedicated to addressing that in general. But I I think that it could have been good for Buffy's character and there was like a little bit of it that was good for Buffy's character, but not 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 handled the way that it should have been or could have been. That, I mean, that's kind of what I was like saying in the beginning is that like I don't hate the storyline. I hate what they did with it afterwards. I'm not saying you can't ever have those scenes and 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 shows, but I'm saying especially as a feminist show, if you're gonna go there when you've just didn't been like kind of tipping your toe in like the pond of like metaphors when it comes to rape but if you're gonna fully go there you have to fully give us like some healing for the female character that's going through the trauma as the main heroine of feminist show and they didn't do that and it again like i agree with sarah like it was all just off of spike because i'm gonna piss people off with this but like spike became such a beloved and favorite character that they needed to give him redemption. And so because a lot of fans were obsessed with him and are obsessed with him, and don't get me wrong, I love Spike, but I have a huge problem with with Spike himself from that episode on because I understand what they were doing in season six when it came to Buffy and, and Spike. Like I'm on like the more understanding side of season six, uh, do I agree with a lot of the scenes? No, but I understand what they were trying to do. I have a problem with seeing red on afterwards when it came to Spike because I knew what they were doing as writers because they didn't want the people who love Spike and Buffy to get all mad that they make Spike fully bad. So they had to make him more redemptive in season Yeah, seven. and I I agree with you, Tabs. I, and, and you kind of hit on something that I was going to talk about too. And Again, this is all controversial stuff. I mean, as we get deeper and deeper into the show, people are like unsubscribing left and right, like, oh. Um, as we get deeper, deeper into the show, like things become a little more polarizing. And and but at the same time, too, I think that one of the main problems of season six was 
you saw season five Spike being a little pervy, like he'd steal the underwear, Buffy's underwear. Mm-hmm. He like made the robot, but then make yeah, the he made the bot and like stuff that's just not okay. But then you would see glimpses of him in there of like saving Dawn, going through torture, where it was like, okay, maybe he truly does care for Buffy, even though he is pervy, not excusing that. But even the moment in the gift when he just like breaks down sobbing when Buffy dies, you could tell he cared for her, the look of horror on his face when he realizes he's not gonna be able to keep his promise went to save dawn when he gets pushed off the thing is is that season six they recognized that spike like you said was a really popular character and they decided to go kind of like full villain with him in a lot of ways in like in how they um uh, and how they had him assaulting Buffy. Personally, I see it as assault in several, like the balcony scene I'm thinking of in particular when Buffy says no, um, that both James Marsters and Sarah Michelle Geller were just not comfortable with. Um, things like that happened. And so to where you're like, okay, this is not a great guy. But then you'd have, you know, you have season five spike that were like, wait, but I thought it seems like he cares about her, but then he's a vampire. And so I understand why they did the sexual assault scene. It's just frustrating that the writers didn't make it very clear. I think if there had been maybe slightly clearer writing up until then, like little instances of him like being a bad guy apart from that, and then it wouldn't have been so like mind-blowingly like out of nowhere and seeing Red. Because when you're watching- Sorry. I I don't think it was out of nowhere at all. When I I watched it, because I- I hadn't seen season six and seven at all. Like, I hadn't seen the ending of Buffy at all. And then I watched it with Tabby. Um, I knew some spoilers, but I, I didn't know that spoiler. And so watching it the first time, I was actually, like, not prepared. But the natural progression of things made a lot of sense to me. Their relationship was extremely, A, physical and aggressive. And B, it was also so like degrading to both of them that it made sense and not to mention uh spike there was a couple times where like him and buffy would kind of go back and forth or like they'd be like she'd be like i don't want you i don't want you i don't want you hit him and then have sex with him and then there was a t- couple times where she would say no, which he should have stopped. But then he would kind of be like, well, I know you want it. I know you want it. And then they would have sex. That one I don't agree with. I think that's not okay. But the natural progressions of the lines for Spike being blurred um, made a lot of sense to me. Especially because I think that the way that Spike loves Buffy pre having his soul is very selfish even though he doesn't see it or know it everything that he does for her is self-serving i think that's why season five we see like kind of a more healthier like quote-unquote healthier version of spike than we do in season six is because he he is like striving for buffy so much that he's putting on this facade of like Oh my gosh, like I, I'm I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. And then when he has her, he doesn't have to put on that facade as much because he already has Buffy. Um, and so I, I think that the scene itself made a lot of lot of sense. Um and I think it was an, a natural progression. 
it, it sucks and it's hard to see and all this stuff. But um, I think that they had dedicated so much time to focusing on the toxicity of their relationship that to me it was like it made sense that Spike's toxic heart really couldn't comprehend the lines anymore. For me, what I mean by that, by the fact that writing-wise, I feel like it could be slightly better is so the first time they have sex is probably the most, I mean, it's not, it's the WB, no, it was not WB at this point. It was the UPN, I think is what, where it was on. Um, it's the most graphic sex scene we have. It's not that graphic, but it's very um, romanticized. Like it was the moment that view a lot of viewers wanted because they liked the sexual chemistry between James and Sarah. And the thing is, is that James and Sarah as characters and as actors work really well together. And I saw a couple people that said it was a shame that they made their relationship so toxic because they were like, it could have been something really good because of the chemistry. Like when the, they let them actually like naturally just not be toxic, they do really great things together. Um, the problem was, is the moment they had sex was meant to be this like super titillating thing of like the house. I mean, it was a metaphor for like the whole house is coming down, meaning it is a toxic relationship, but it was shown in a way that was just very much like everybody had been, we'd been building up to this, but we've been waiting for this. And so you have that moment, then you have the humorous moment where Buffy is invisible and then her and Spike have sex and it's kind of supposed to be played off for laughs. And so <laughs> Tabby's making faces at me. <laughs> Sorry. I'm like talking about all my least favorite episodes right now. This is not fun for me. <laughs> I just like the invisible one more than Rex. Yes. I don't yeah. know. We'll get there. I think it's smashed. Smashed is the one they have uh, sex in and wrecked is the aftermath. <laughs> uh, why are you laughing? Smashed is the title? <laughs> the name of it? Yeah, that's the name. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, that's why I always remember it. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so you you have that, and then you have you know obviously the the balcony scene where Buffy's like doesn't want it and she's hating herself and stuff, and and then you know you have so many other moments like that, and so. As writers, they were not super clear for us as the viewers because we're like, oh man, like Spike is super hot and he has moments where he's like really nice. And so like, I kind of want him with Buffy, but then it's like, it happens and it's shown super toxic, but you're also like, but I love both these characters. So I feel super conflicted. That's why the fandom is very exactly. torn. That's why there's like people who are obsessed with them, people who are on the hating, and then there's people who are just tolerating it in the middle. Like, I think that... It, it was okay to have a toxic relationship with two characters you like. I think that that's okay and that that's fine. Um, I kind of like that we got to see the fact that there was a toxic relationship, especially since Buffy was so low. It it genuinely makes sense to me that she would turn to a romantic relationship because at least that'll give her, you know, momentary satisfaction. Um, I think that there's a lot of hard stuff about it, but I think that them showing a toxic relationship between Buffy and Spike, it, I think that it was well done. I think it was a good idea. Like, I know that's controversial because people hate seeing Buffy like, like that. And I did too, but I, I think that it was, it was good for her character because like, it was really showing just like how low she was, how she really felt like she had no one. Like, 
I just thought it was interesting. I thought that it but made no nobody's saying that that Leah. What everybody's saying, what Tabby and I are saying, is the writing was not consistent in how they were showing the relationship. So the viewer is conflicted, going, "You're showing it to be super hot sex, but you're also telling us it's bad and wrong." So which is it? It's inconsistent but writing I, in the I way. I think I, I disagree. I think it was meant to be written like that. I think it was meant to be. So confusing for the viewer because Buffy herself is confused. Buffy herself is like, oh, this, like, the sex is really hot and we're really passionate, but, like, I I don't feel good. Like, I don't feel like this is right. But I keep coming back to it because, like, in the moment it's, like, really hot and heavy and it's really fun. Um, And so I think it's, like, it's confusing for the viewer because Buffy was conflicted and confused as, confused as well. But if you also look at how the gang reacts to a lot of afterwards, it's very much, or even how Spike reacts to it in season seven. It's like, oh, but like, you know, Big Sis was treating me so well up until this point. It's like Spike is like kind of being seen as the victim in a lot of senses when it came to what happened in season six between both of them. I think what's hard, man, we're really getting to everything season six. Um, what I think is really hard is that Spike is supposed to be better than Angela Solis. He's supposed to have a lot of his humanity in him, which makes him worse in season six because he knows that Buffy is depressed. He knows that she's going through a lot. And so I think he kind of takes advantage of the situation. And then, and she's been, she was honest with him. She was like, I'm using you. I'm doing this because I feel nothing. And then yet he still kind of weaponizes that against her. Yeah. Here's the thing. I, I know that you you and I, you guys and I disagree on this. I I think that personally, too, there's a lot of people who are too hard on Spike. Not too hard. That's, okay. <laughs> let me rephrase that. He made a really crappy thing. Um, sorry. I, I need to phrase this in a way where it doesn't sound like I'm at all blaming Buffy because she's not at fault. I think that people are so ready a lot of times to look past what Angel did as Angelus because, oh, he doesn't have a soul. He doesn't have a soul. Whereas Spike does god awful things when he doesn't have a soul. But then he gets his soul and people are like, oh, yeah, but, but he did this to Buffy. He did this. All terrible things. I'm not excusing them. But if you're looking at at the gaze of the show, it's like both Angel or both Angelus and Spike, pre-Soul Spike. I really <laughs> wish that he had a different name when he didn't have a soul because it makes it a lot easier. But they both did awful, awful, awful things. But when they have their soul, it's like they are kind of a new person. Like they're in, like they have a conscience. They have a like a, a will to do something more than evil things. And I understand your guys' argument kind of saying that, well, well, Spike seems to be more of a great character, so does he have more of a free will? Does he have more humanity in him? I personally don't think that Spike is any less vampire or any less evil or corrupt than Angelus was. I think that their corruption just shows itself in very different ways. But I don't think that... 
Spike is any less vampire or that okay, he has any so more two, humanity in Two him. things. I know First that- First of all, Buffy did not sleep with Angelus. Buffy slept with Angel. So you can't use that argument. You can't say that there's a difference between pre-sold Angel and Angelus and pre-sold Spike and Spike um, when it comes to sleeping with Buffy because that's what we're specifically talking about here. I'm not saying speaking with Buffy. I'm saying that people, I think that People overlook a lot of what Angelus does because, oh, Angel's good. But then it's like Spike does crappy things for sure. And it's hard because we see more of the th- crappy things that Spike does because he's without a soul longer. Um, But then they're not as willing to be like, okay, well, Spike's a new man. These places are funny. I, I know you guys disagree. I'm just saying like so, – But here's the thing. We just watched Surprise. The judge literally said to Spike and, and to Scylla, like he's like, you guys reek of humanity. Then he goes to Angelus and goes, this guy has no humanity. You can't say there's not a difference. We both interpreted that differently. You interpret that as, oh, Spike has like – more human in him. I interpret that as Spike, Drusilla, and the librarian in the back <laughs> Dalton. all have all have love for the world in their heart. That is how I interpret it. Spike and Drusilla have a little bit of humanity in them because they love each other and because Spike has a love for the world. The guy in the back has a little bit of humanity in him because he loves books which are connected to the world. And I don't think that that makes Spike any more like able to make a good choice i think he just likes the world in a corrupt evil way which makes him human i think um so ironically a quote that joss said about um tv shows is something that has been drilled in my brain and this is something that i will forever think about when i watch tv shows he said don't believe what the script is telling you, believe what the story is telling you. And so when we watch that episode, you could see it in different ways. But as you watch the show and you watch Spike's character, what is Spike telling you? What is the story telling you? That he has a lot more humanity than Angelus does. If you watch Angelus, he doesn't care about anything other than making people miserable. And the biggest difference between Spike and Angelus, and also Angelus had his payback. Angelus went to hell for hundreds of years for stuff that he did. And we actually did see a lot of the stuff he did in season two. It was either alluded to in the background, or if you watch Amends, it kind of talks about a lot of the stuff that he did in season two to people that we didn't see. He did some awful, awful, awful things. Nowhere Am I giving Angelus or Angel a pass? He had hundreds of years to kind of mull it over and come back. And him and um, Buffy didn't end up together. Um, And he has to live with torture the rest of his life. Whereas I feel like, oh gosh, I don't know. It's just, hey, here's a, yeah. And you know what? We'll, we'll move on from here I'm because this isn't really about Spike. It's about Xander. But I'm curious, as we walk through the show, I'm going to do my best to keep an open mind as we're watching stuff and let each episode kind of um, reshape how I view the show. It's hard because we're doing the spoiler section, so we kind of have to go off based off of watching the show in the past. But I'm excited for getting to season six and seven and having more of these discussions because I think that hopefully we will have a little bit more of a well-rounded view because they'll be fresh in our minds, you know? So one of the things that I was actually talking with my husband, Andrew, about is when Amy does the spell 
and the love spell specifically for Xander, she says, may she neither rest nor sleep until she submits to his will only. And I, and Andrew brought up a good point. He was like, I think that almost makes this whole episode worse because it makes it sound like the girls have to do anything that Xander says. And I was, I was curious because I was trying to remember back into the episode because it was obvious that like Xander didn't want what was happening to happen. But at any point, did he tell like the girls to stop or whatever? Because I'm curious if they actually like were listening to him or not, because I don't think he said stop. I was going to mention this. Okay, go ahead. And I wanted to wait until we talked in the spoiler section because I didn't want something to slip out and then, you know. But I legitimately was so pissed because he kept being like, like, even with Buffy, he never said, Buffy, I don't want this, or Buffy, no. It was like, he was just kind of saying, like, oh, Buffy, this isn't you. Buffy, this isn't you. And then finally, when he says, like, I, I don't want this like this, I think that's what he says, like, I, I don't want it if it's like this, that's when she stops. Same same with Willow. He never once says, like, Willow, I, I don't want to do this. I, like, stop. Like, it's just, like... I, I, I'm not saying that Xander was like, you know, wanted something to happen, but it's like he wasn't telling them. He no, was very passive. Not that, yes, not that like, you know, if you don't say no, it's it's like. You want it. You know, yes, that's not what I'm yeah. saying. What I'm saying is, is that like he just was so like passive and was just kind of like, oh, like no, don't come on to me. Like, it's like, come on, Xander. Like, if that, like, if that was me, if even if they're my friends, love them, I'd be shoving them off of me <laughs> being like, do not touch me. Like, it, it's just, yeah, I don't know. I, I just thought it's a little strange. The fact that like, he would just, I don't know. He would kind of just prolong it. Yeah. The fact that it says, until she submits to his will only, makes it seem like Xander has some sort of control in this um, in this scenario. I, I'm not quite sure. I mean, the episode doesn't really dive into that. It makes Xander just seem more of like a passive victim to everything that's happening. But I wonder if he was actually in control, then that makes it seem even more pervy and even more like an assault. Because if he's actually kind of in control, then he could tell them no. Um yeah, so I don't know. I I, th- I thought that was interesting. It could also just be this episode is not very clearly written. So they kind of wrote that in to make it sound like super ominous. And we're like, ooh, I, I just don't know what's going to happen. And then like, you know, the next day, it's like, wait a minute. That's not what I thought was going to happen. But yeah, I just thought that was really interesting. Um, there are little instances in the show that kind of hint to the gang um, from In Restless where they talk about the mind, the spirit, the heart, and the hand, that spell. And – I think it's interesting how Giles, as the brain or the mind, his brain was attempted to be harvested in the puppet show. And in this one, it's Valentine's Day and Xander's heart is broken. And interestingly, Angelus also gives Drusilla a heart. And I just think it's kind of cool how you have sometimes physical representations of the person's role within the gang. And I know like I've really wrestled a lot with like, how is Xander the heart of the group? Because sometimes I'm like, the heart seems like super twisted and stuff. Yeah, I <laughs> yeah. Agree. But I really, I think he is the heart in the sense that Xander is at the at his core, 
very brave and very loyal. And I think that is the heart of the Scooby gang. I think they are very brave and they are willing to do what needs to be done for their friends. Um, and I think also too, Xander's humanity is the heart of the gang. The fact that he's human, that, that he stays human for the entirety of the show speaks to his humanity. And I mean, that is the heart of the Scooby gang. They're all, they're all humans, whether they're a witch or a slayer, you know? Um, but yeah. And then I also wanted to talk about how this episode does a really good job of foreshadowing the next episode, Passion. How, you know, they're talking about it's Valentine's Day, how Angel is or Angelus is sitting there going, hmm, I need something special for Buffy, something that, you know, needs poetry or whatever. Um, and it's especially jarring because this episode is mostly light and fun in tone, which tends to kind of take down our guard, kind of like bad eggs before surprise. And then, um, how you know Angelus kills Jenny is very Valentine-like and how he sets up her body for Giles. Um, so yeah, it's just I always forget this is right before and it's just it's very jarring. I uh, uh you mentioned the line where um Angel like kind of says that uh he can't like kill Buffy like that because it lacks poetry. There you go, yep. <laughs> I, I just thought it was funny because uh Spike it was a poet before mm-hmm. he was a vampire. And so, you know, he's sitting there like, if anyone was to know about poetry, it'd be me. But like, he kind of can't <laughs> say something like that. I just thought it was kind of funny, especially since Angelus knows that. So, you know, he was saying it like, oh, come on, Spike. Where's the poetry? Well, I think it's funny how Spike's like, what rhymes with lungs? And I all I can think about is effulgent. <laughs> <laughs> also, Drusilla refers to Xander's face as a poem. I can read it. And I wrote Drusilla's a sucker for poets. And then I was like, haha, sucker. <laughs> and then I realized I wrote like a pun. But, and then I, I am ashamed because I am bad at puns. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the song Pain by Four Star Mary that's in the bronze that Willow is fangirling over Oz, that song is also played again in Buffy's house and Dead Men's Party, the dreaded episode that I am not looking forward to oh, having to talk about in just a few short weeks, but we will not talk about it today. We've already talked about season six. <laughs> the moment where Cordelia dumps Xander and how like horrible and awful Xander feels. I really wish he would have remembered how that felt when he left Anya at the altar on their wedding day. Like, what the heck? He's like over there getting mad at Cordelia for dumping him on Valentine's Day. He does way worse in season six. I was like, Xander. I mean, to be fair, like, yes. Again, crappy thing. (laughs) But... I really, truly, genuinely, like, I don't fault Xander that much for that, simply because, like, I genuinely think he was trying to help Anya. Like, I really, I feel like he didn't see a way out, and I think that I would have not wanted him to get married to her if he was gonna end up being unhappy and, like, all this stuff. And so, even though I'm like, Xander, why couldn't you have just broken up with her before? Why did you have to wait till the wedding date? Like, I, I find myself feeling a lot sadder for Xander because of that instead of like really angry and mad at him like I think he was just really lost and in a lot of pain I just I think there's a common theme with him that he's not emotionally intelligent and so I think I get disappointed in him do I fault him for breaking up with her if he feels that way no I think the timing is really 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 awful and but he did know that he wasn't ready beforehand which makes me very frustrated 
Um, yep, yep, yep. Do I think they should have gotten married? No. I think he was right for not marrying her, but I think it's very dumb that he had to wait that long till he was literally about to walk down the aisle, or not him about to walk down the aisle, but before he was about <laughs> to get married, for him to be like, I'm not ready. Because I think he just like, even with their relationship, it took him forever to even like kind of call her his girlfriend or like things like that. He clearly has not like faced a lot of his demons. And so I think yeah, that him like kind of jumping into things, not really thinking of how big a deal marriage is until right beforehand and then having to confront all of his issues because his family is right there is very, very, very unfortunate and very frustrating. Yeah. Again, I think it's completely consistent with his character and it's understandable why he breaks up with Anya. I get that. Mm -hmm. It's just a shame because the entirety of season six, you can tell he's Mm -hmm. not sure that he wants to marry Anya. And in fact, I think like I'll never tell is exactly Mm -hmm. that. And so we all see it coming a mile away and it's frustrating when it gets to hell's bells and we're like, okay, here we go. You know, and also it's frustrating his response afterwards too with Cordelia where he says, I still want us to be together. You can't do that. You can't give her a ring, tell her, like, get engaged, get to the wedding day, call it off, and then say, no, I still want to be with you. That's just not the right way to go about it. Um, I do want to, I do want to say though, it is extremely ironic that this is like Xander's kind of first vengeance spell, and he ends up, you know, dating a vengeance demon. It's just a little funny. I noted that. I was like, I forgot about this episode, and then I watched it and I was like, I kind of almost like that they put this in there because then it's like Xander should be a little bit more understanding to Anya because it's like you yourself have felt that immense amount of vengeance and desire for vengeance that you kind of allowed yourself to be like that as well. So I kind of like that they kind of had some toxic traits in common. Yeah, it is kind of funny when you think about it. Shifting gears a little bit, I... I love the the small little things that kind of continue roll over to the next episode, so it kind of leads you there. So in this episode, kind of talks Giles talks about all the things that Angelus has done in the past, and then he mentions how he like mails a puppy to something, and then the next episode, Willow's like glad that she never had a puppy because mm-hmm. if he came into the house, he could have killed it. Um, but I didn't even realize the passion was next episode. And I was like, that's genius to put that like home mailing the puppy one because the next one she's like, for the first time, I'm glad my parents didn't give me a puppy. Yeah, no, it's true. They do a really good job of just having like mm-hmm. tiny little threads woven into every episode in between the major overarching theme for that episode. And it just, it provides a really great sense of continuity and it guides the audience really well through that, the series. Yeah. And I know we keep on crapping on Xander, but there's one thing, last thing on my end I want to say about him that really frustrates me. Um, He says something to Buffy where he, oh no, he says something to Willow when she's trying to come on to him and says, we've been friends for too long to do anything that might jeopardize that now. And yet the moment (laughs) that Buffy tries to get with him, he's all like, like what? Like he's like super down with it. Yeah, he's still trying to get his ex-girlfriend to like, I don't know. He's just a mess in this episode. But I'm like, but then in season three, then you want to jeopardize your relationship with Willow. Like, you're just, I, Xander, I can't. I mean, I think the difference is, like, he didn't have feelings for mm-hmm. her yeah. in this. So it's like, I can't fault him for not having feelings for her when we want him to, you know? Because it's like, I feel like that's a little But unfair. did he have se- feelings for her in season three? 
Maybe, maybe not, but I think that, like, I don't know. I, I think it's okay to, like, not know if you're attracted to someone or kind of be like, oh, like, I'm having these weird inclinations. What's not good about it is the fact that they cheated on significant right. others and all that. So. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Um, I thought it was funny how Xander talks about how everyone wants to make him their – or he everyone wants to make him their cuddle monkey. And that it reminded monkey. me of – Buffy versus Dracula he was like, that's it. I'm tired of being everyone's butt monkey. <laughs> Which makes me laugh every time. I forget that the Buffy versus Dracula episode is an actual episode. And I watched it a couple months ago when I was rewatching the show with Becca. I hate that Becca. episode. No, I <laughs> love it. Leah. <laughs> it's sorry. Why? It's so funny. If you rewatch it, it's so funny. It's pretty much universally renowned as the worst opening for a season ever. Yeah, I really don't like it. It kind of gives me the creeps. I love it. It is important. Funny. It is important in setting the tone for the season. I'm just surprised sense- it's the first episode. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just it's definitely it's definitely different. And I'm excited to talk about it because I think that there's some good stuff there. But um okay, and then the obvious Amy clearly casts the same spell to turn Buffy into a rat that she does to turn herself into a rat in season three, like the exact same wordage and everything. Um, I think everyone knows that, but I just I had to point that out. All right. So I wanted to talk about Restless for a minute because there's a specific moment in this scene when Joyce comes on to Xander that happens again in Restless. And I was kind of like, okay, why I, I just I need to like I need to cover this because I'm confused. Why why would Joyce be doing that? Not necessarily in this episode, but in Restless. And why? Because I think that that's supposed to be to tie back to this moment in this episode. A lot of the stuff that happens in Xander's dream, like um, in Xander's dream in Restless, is specific callbacks to Xander-centric episodes. Um, so in Restless, Xander continually keeps finding himself back inside of the basement, which I think is ironic because that happens here in this episode. He meets Cordelia, or like the first time him and Cordelia kiss is in a basement. He ends up getting chased by a bunch of girls back into a basement. And in Restless, he keeps finding himself back into a basement. I think it's it's on purpose, kind of show mm-hmm. him that he's stunted emotionally and he can't get over where he's at right now in, in his time, like um, uh like maturity wise. Yeah. No, and he, it's supposed to symbolize how he felt in season four and that he yeah. felt left behind. Everybody was kind of getting careers mm-hmm. and moving on, having relationships, and he's stuck. He feels like he's being left behind. So in his scene with Joyce in Restless, Joyce asks him, are you sure it isn't comfort when she asks him what he's looking for? The comfortador thing gives us a hint into his deeper struggles. He's afraid of pain and struggles, so he always goes where he's comfortable. That's why he makes jokes when he feels uncomfortable. Joyce says that she knows the difference between a comfortador and a conquistador. And it's basically men versus boys, which is a reflection of the fact that Xander doesn't typically go after the challenge slash conquest, but after comfort. It's why he settles for Cordelia. It's why he kind of just falls into a relationship with Anya. It's why he leaves Anya at the altar. And it's why he doesn't try to win Cordelia back the old fashioned way. Instead, he tries to put her under a love spell. At the end of the day, Xander really struggles with complacency. And I thought that was a really insightful thing about Xander. And I think it's very true. I think Xander truly does struggle with wanting to do the hard thing. I think a lot of times he feels entitled and feels like things should be handed to him and that um, 
He'd rather go for the more comfortable thing, the more comfortable relationship than for something that's a little bit more challenging. Yep. I think that ultimately when it comes to like, I think we've talked about this before, but when it comes to like manly, super cool stuff, you know, um, Xander has a lot of courage and he's very brave. We've talked about his how brave he is a lot of times. Um, but I think that when it comes to emotional kind of raw, intimate things, like he really, like we see him lack a lot of courage in that area. And I think that ultimately that becomes a huge downfall of his character is the fact that he just doesn't push himself in that area. Yeah. And deep down, I think he's just really insecure. And so insecure people don't typically try to push themselves because they're so busy overthinking about how they look to other people or how much they're going to fail. Um, so yeah, I thought that was an interesting insight into Xander and it was kind of made me go, oh, huh. Like I never made the correlation between the Confortador versus the Conquistador. Like Xander's just stuck in a rut. He's a boy. He's not a man yet. Um, the moment when Cordy and Xander are laying on the floor with the mob over them is actually referenced in a flashback in the scene in him. Xander will refer to it as the good old days. And so this episode is quite similar to him. And I think the writers were trying to do a throwback. But I'm just so tired of the episode. That trope where, is not done yes, well. Yes, that trope. And like, fant- like fantasy type shows, I've seen it in so many other shows that are fantasy type too, where it's like all of a sudden all these girls are attracted to a guy and they're somehow underneath the spell. And I think it's so tired. I think it's so 90s and 2000s. I think we need to tire- retire it. I will say I think Bewitched, Bothered and Bewildered does a good job with the trope. Does it better. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, maybe. Yeah, does it better. Maybe not necessarily get does a good job with it. I just feel like we're too grown. We're too grown in season seven to do that, especially with Buffy. I was like, stop putting a grown woman in these situations. It's like, so awkward. Where she's like hitting on a high schooler when it's not even Buffy. And I'm just like, stop it. You're degrading her character when you're putting her in these situations. It really frustrates me. Yeah. Yeah, it was supposed to be a callback to this episode, but it was like, we already did it and we don't want to see it again. The episode we don't want called back to. Yeah, exactly. I know. Um, Yeah, but it's just interesting, like the contrast between RJ and Xander. I think that at the end of the day, like RJ didn't want to get rid of his Letterman jacket. He was not happy about it. And I think they were trying to show, oh, look how much better Xander is than RJ because, you know, Xander actually like was ashamed and like wanted this all done. But it was like, no, 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 like. But the no. fact that they had to put that in season seven is if we didn't realize that Xander was a good character until then. They're like, we have to put this episode so we can contrast them and show how good of a character Xander is. I'm like, we, we didn't know that. Yeah. To be fair, like, that episode has some really good classic scenes, like Robin Wood sitting there trying That's to do the his- the only good scene of the episode, when they're t- tackling behind him. I liked the the heist music, and then you have, like, Anya putting on a bank mask, or a uh, mask getting ready to go rob a bank, and it's just, like, really funny. And then you have the radio at the end of the episode, where they're talking about how somebody robbed several banks, and she, like, quickly turns it off, and nobody ever knows that she went and robbed a bunch of banks. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there could be objectively some funny moments, but I just think that we could have literally done without that episode. Yeah, we could have for sure. There's a lot of burner episodes where I'm like, sure, whatever, you can have that one. But that one just frustrates me. I thought it was interesting. Sorry, I'm completely switching gears. I thought it was interesting how this is kind of the first taste of dark magic that we're really kind of getting to see in full because we had the witch, but it was more of like a 
kind of an abusive mom rather than like magic is evil. Um, and so I like that this one is kind of showing that magic can be hugely effective to other people um, and just can be very dangerous. And I like that we're seeing this with Amy because then when Willow goes through her addiction to magic and all that later on in the season, I like that Amy is the one who is brought back and ends up kind of holding Willow's hand into all of that. Well, I was about to say too, I like the fact that they didn't kind of give redemption to Amy. I like the fact that they made her corrupt because it shows that some people can't come back. Like that um, Riley's wife or whatever, that sweet moment where she like talks to Willow and says, I've never met somebody who's gotten that gone that dark and has come back um, to Willow. And I think that we need to see somebody who just was too far gone with magic because we haven't seen that. We've seen a redemption arc or just like a recovery with Giles. There's that whole metaphor. Um, and then we see that with Willow. And I feel like we've seen it with someone else. I just can't remember right now. Maybe not. But with Amy, I like the fact that they were like, no, like she's twisted. She's using it for the wrong reasons. And she's like just corrupt. Yeah. And I mean, all the way to season seven, she lets Mm -hmm. the first influence her and use her to try and like torment Willow. I mean, Mm -hmm. yeah, we really see Amy become a very dark, twisted character by the end of the series. And I do think that's a good use of her. Um, okay, so IMDB says that the lunch lady here in this episode is the same lady as the one in I Only Have Eyes for You and also the one that tries to poison them in earshot. Do you remember that when Xander goes in? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, that episode is so – I mean, it's it's really sad, but like that scene is both staring like, at each other where she's the, pouring in the rat the poisoning. The box like clearly says rat poisoning and <laughs> like know. they shouldn't even try to like disguise it. I mean, it shows you how little people pay attention to like uh, the lunch the lady. Food that they <laughs> yeah. Eat. It, well, yeah, and the food that they eat at schools. Um, I can't quite confirm if it's her. The actress is only credited in earshot because of her speaking role. And she's kind of too far away to confirm if it's actually her in both those other episodes. And like the brief screenshots I was able to get, it looks like it could be her. I'm not sure. But she's wearing the same outfit and everything. And so in my head canon, it's the same lady. And she's just by well, I, well, I think <laughs> That's it's why she too, because he has like a vengeance against her. He's like, I knew it was the lunch lady. So I think it's so funny that she's like in the background of all these Xander-centric episodes, which makes it just so much better that they have the whole fighting scene in um, Earshot. Yeah, Earshot, she's like, dang, it's you again. The guy that like I was under that spell to like for so long. <laughs> she's yeah. like, this is why, because I was so humiliated with myself by being attracted to a high schooler. Yeah, <laughs> she's all. like, that's it. <laughs> all right, so the last thing is Dawn would definitely be in this episode because we all know she had a crush on Xander. How do you guys think Dawn would have fit into this episode if she were here? It definitely ties into the obsession slash love metaphor because she definitely was way more obsessed than actually in love with him. But I do think you can't fully love somebody in a romantic way when you're that little. So I feel like we could have had some really funny moments where it's like tiny little Dawn who's like in elementary school holding like an axe with Willow. (laughs) See, I don't think that she would have been like part of the mob or anything or we would have had any big scenes of her. But I do think we would have gotten a scene where instead of Cordelia finding Joyce with uh, Xander, we would have had Dawn, uh. and she would have been like, she would have been like, Mom, and like push her, push her outside, and they've been like, 
Sander, we're alone now. <laughs> and, he's like, and then I think it would have been so funny because Sander would have been like, oh, thank goodness. Okay. You know, like uh, Mrs. Summers is out there. Like, thank you, Don. And then he's like, oh, no. Because then it's like two of Buffy's family members. I think that would have been really funny. I wonder if she would have reacted the same as she would have reacted in him when she goes on the train tracks and everything. It's just like how everybody else is like trying to fight for him. And then Don was over there like, well, I can't even compete with Buffy. Like, why even try? Like, I wonder if she actually would have tried to fight for Xander if she just would have kind of like given up and been all angsty and cried. I don't know. But I definitely like your head cannons better. They're they're funnier than what I was thinking. <laughs> I I just imagine like Dawn being in Buffy's room. Like she goes and like tries to like fight off Angelus as he's pulling <laughs> Xander through the window or something. I think it would have been a really funny episode to have Dawn in. She definitely would have been on the couch pigging out with them while they were eating all their food and Oh, 100%. Yeah, it would have been super funny. So, well, as always, I think we covered everything, um, <laughs> including, you know, more stuff than we anticipated. But hopefully you guys learned something. Let us know what you guys think Dawn would be doing in this episode. Let us know your opinions on season six. Are you guys of the opinion of Leah? Are you of the opinion of Tabby? <laughs> Or are you, I guess I'm kind of on Tabby. I don't know. Are you on Tabby in my opinion? I'm the Lone Ranger. (laughs) We're curious what your guys' thoughts are, especially when it comes to humanity. I know that's kind of a, like a very gray area in the Buffyverse. Um, But yeah, and what do you guys think about, you know, the themes of magic and uh, using other people? We're really curious and we'd like to know what you think. Definitely message us or email us. We want to know your guys' thoughts. You guys can find us on Instagram at becomingbuffypodcast. You can email us at becomingbuffypodcast at gmail.com. And as always, guys, we will talk to you next week. Bye.